This is Friends of Foster Care, a podcast sponsored by Fostering Hope Catawba. Fred Rogers said, We live in a world in which we need to share responsibility. It's easy to say, it's not my child, not my community, not my problem. Then there are those who see the need and respond. I consider those people my heroes. Our host, Leanne Setliff, is a seasoned foster parent hero in Catawba County through the Department of Social Services. Over 26 children have found a home with her and her husband. Two of these children they adopted. Now, Leanne is on a journey to tell the story of fostering children in Western North Carolina. It's certainly not always easy, but we are in need of heroes chronicled here to show that we are part of the solution in our community. Let's listen in. On this episode of Friends of Foster Care podcast, we want to welcome Chris Steeb um, to our show. Chris, thank you for for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, Chris, will you introduce yourself and kind of tell you what your role is? This month in January, we are spotlighting Guardian Ad Litems. So what brings you to this table today? Well, first, I really appreciate you guys um, focusing on the Guardian Ad Litem program this month. And um, my name, as, as you mentioned, is Chris Steve, and I'm a program supervisor with the Guardian Ad Litem program in Catawba County. We're part of the, the 25th Judicial District, which covers Catawba, Burke, and Caldwell counties, but I work specifically with Catawba County. Okay, awesome. So will you tell us a little bit um, about your passion for kids in foster care and then... Um, how that led you to your job as um, paid staff um, at Guardian Litem, because there are volunteer Guardian Correct. who work for Guardian Litem, but you're a paid staff. Sure. And, and, and so our, our, our goal, our mission is that we have a, a volunteer child advocate assigned to every child in the foster care system um, in, in Catawba County. And, and certainly every county has the same goal, but um, looking at, at, passion for helping others and, and specifically children is, is, is a big question, but um, it really goes back, I guess the roots of that are, are in my childhood. My, my mother had um, instilled a lot of values in me as far as helping others and, and serving others, and uh, a lot of that happened through involvement with church, but also my mother worked in, in child welfare most of her career. Um, she worked in uh, if not the first, then one of the first uh, special, edu- special education classrooms in the county we lived in. And um, later she moved to, to tar- Department of Social Services and, and retired from, she's probably worked over 30 years and retired from Union County Department of Social Services. And so she really spent uh, a lot of time and effort and, and a lot of her value system was serving others and, and certainly instill that value in me. Um, my first job in the field, fresh out of college, was uh, working at a children's home, um, Marion Springs Home for Children. Uh, it, it's evolved over the years, and, and that agency is now uh, known as Children's Hope Alliance. Uh, but I started working in a group home with uh, nine teenage uh, boys, and, and 
had lots of experiences in that program, but, but very early on had some really powerful experiences that just really um, kind of reinforced the idea of, of how much of a difference you can make in the life of a child. Um, one of those early experiences, we had a child that um, uh, was a teenager and had um, unfortunately been in, in the system for several years he had uh, gone through experiences uh, where he started in, in foster care and um, just went through foster home after foster home. And uh, the first couple of moves were, were of no fault of his own. Just he was in foster families that had um, changes in their family situation. And so they weren't able to foster or um, other things had come up. And so he'd have to move. And um, uh, very quickly on, he, he uh, in adults. And so uh, he started pushing um, a little more when he would go into new placements and, and started testing. And uh, I think his mentality was that if, if it's not, placement's not going to work, let's go ahead and get it over with and um, move me on. And so he would kind of force some of those moves. And eventually he started going to group homes. And by the time he had made his way to, to Barium Springs. He had probably been in 30 different placements. And, and unfortunately, um, sometimes we see those experiences happen for children. Um, very early on when, in my experience of working with them, um, he, he, very challenging kid, lots of, uh, lots of emotional and behavioral issues. And um, he had had a moment where he got really upset and uh, during the middle of, of an emotional episode had, had yelled out uh, a relative's name and just yelled, why can't I, I live with this person? And I thought that was a really interesting question and, and just simply started asking why. Um, I learned a little more from him about the relative and um, asked my supervisor, why can't he live with that person? And my supervisor at the time didn't really have a good answer. I asked his therapist why he couldn't live with that person. They didn't have a good answer. I asked his social worker and they didn't have a good answer. And um, it just asked everybody I could possibly think of at the time. And nobody really seemed to understand why this person wasn't considered. And eventually was able to track down that um, she was looked at early on when he came into care, but he had several siblings and at the time, the relative was was fairly young, and there was just the belief that she wouldn't be able to take care of all all those children. And so, um, long story short, I just through asking that question of why and really starting to look at this person, um, social worker was able to explore that individual, and, and ultimately, she wound up adopting the the child and and several of his siblings and. Um, I, I've done this work long enough that uh, a lot of the children I work with early on are now adults. And so um, I, I've had interactions with him as an adult over the years and a uh, good, healthy, productive citizen and uh, does really well. He's married, got his own children and, and they're great kids. And um, he wound up having a, a very good experience in, in being adopted and being adopted by a family member, which is always um, such a powerful experience for kids if, if that's able to happen. Uh, he spent years in foster care that he 
may not have had to spend and just, you know, I got to see what a difference that made for him. And it was just reinforcing to me, just simply asking why was able to make a difference in that child's life. And I had lots of other experiences similar to that, but uh, just doing this type of work, you really can, can kind of change the, the course of a child's life. Um, and, and it takes a lot of work and perseverance to do that, but, but starting down that road is sometimes just as simple as, as asking why. Wow, what a powerful story and what a great example um, of kind of the, what guardian ad litem is, is being a voice for a child. And um, I love that for you, it started with your mom, but then this particular story um, also uh, made that more real for you. Um, so how long did you work at the group home? So I worked at Children, Children's Hope Alliance for just about 20 years. Um, wow. Hopefully I don't look, look it, but, um, but I worked there for a long time. And, and I, I worked in a number of different roles. I worked um, at that particular group home for probably about a year and a half. Uh, and th- th- about that time, my wife and I had gotten married. And so we actually moved into a group home and, and we were teaching parents. And so we, at that time, we had six uh, adolescent boys that we'd work with. And so we were teaching parents for a little over four years. Um, and that, uh, from there, moved out of the group home and uh, moved into administrative roles and um, eventually worked as the, the director of residential services. And then uh, kind of the last positions I held there were uh, director of implementation and then director of staff development. And, and that's probably what led me towards the, the guardian ad litem. And certainly that early experience is uh, just trying to be reflective and, and looking at some of those early exp- experiences, especially like with a child where um, he got to, to go live with his relative, just um, it started with just asking why. And I remember at that point in time, just thinking, you know, there's there's gotta be somebody that focuses on, on just advocating for kids. And I, I didn't, at that point in my career, I didn't know about the guardian ad litem program. It, it's still relatively young. We just celebrated our, our 35th anniversary uh, in 2018. And um, it wasn't until the 1990s that every county had a guardian ad litem office. And um, so he was a child that, that didn't have a guardian ad litem, that, at least that I'm aware of, that was, was appointed to him at that point in time. And just found out about the guardian ad litem program and had that first experience with a volunteer that did nothing but advocate for a child. It just resonated um, so clearly with me that it's such an important part of the, of the court proceeding and um, just realize what that person's able to do, just focusing on that child and their best interests. Wow, I didn't realize that it was so young. So just before the program, the children just didn't have a representation? They, they didn't, and, and certainly, um, the roots of the, the Guardian Ad Litem program um, go back earlier than the official start date of 1983, but um, it started as pilot programs and uh, initially started with um, attorneys that uh, in some counties that served in that role. And um, eventually the game having an attorney advocate that works with uh, a volunteer child advocate. Um, and so, that process really um, became solidified and, and part of the statute in 1983. So again, yeah, we're, the program, we're relatively young. And before that, 
as as you said, it, it, despite the fact that that the proceeding is is really about the child, and they're certainly the most important person in that process. They're without a guardian ad litem. There's really nobody that was watching out for their best interests. Uh, and certainly, there's individual exceptions to that, I'm sure. But but as a system, the guardian ad litem I'm sure that that child has the representation that they need. Um, as a foster parent who has younger children, I really have grown to love our guardian med items just because I'm, I'm a, I don't have a voice either in the court system. And I'm not saying that I should, but as the person who is doing, is caring for the child and is the one who picks them up after visits and the one who takes care of them at three in the morning, um, as small children who can't speak for themselves, it's... Um, I very much appreciate the role uh, that guardian ad litems look out for the child um, and listen to the foster parents as well as birth parents and, and DSS as well. Um, so. We definitely appreciate that, the, the work that you guys do as well. It's um, foster parents and, and uh, in your case, uh, adopted parents uh, as well are just such amazing people and um, our, our volunteers and, and foster and adopted parents along with um, in many cases, kinship parents are sometimes the, the only folks in the courtroom that really don't have a vested interest other than just sincerely caring about that child and wanting what's best for that child. Um, I, I'd like to believe that um, I, I certainly try and hold those values, but as a paid staff, I just can't have the same uh, perspective as a volunteer. Yeah, so um, the way it works is um, you are a paid staff, but then you also recruit volunteers, right? So, um, and we've touched a little bit here, pieces of what a guardian ad litem is, but will you kind of go through, a, tell us everything we need to know about exactly what a guardian ad litem is um, and who's who's a good person to volunteer as a guardian ad litem and what they do and tell us more. Sure, so... Um... It, my role as a program supervisor with the program is, is to recruit, uh, train, and then support our volunteer child advocates uh, in their, their mission of, of serving a, the best interest of the child and being the voice of that child in court. And so um, the guardian ad litem program, the way that we work is that um, when a child uh, when the Department of Social Services files a uh, petition alleging abuse or neglect of a child, uh, our folks that we're going to talk with, uh, we collaborate with all those folks to come up with um, what may be best for the child. We, we advocate not just in court, but in, in a lot of different aspects of a child's experience. Um, uh, we advocate at school. Uh, we advocate um, as far as um, who they have contact with and, and just anything that they may need support and advocacy in. Um, we, one of the things that's unique about what our program does is that our volunteers work with the child from the time that petition is filed up until the point that they achieve permanence. Um, and so we're a little bit unique in that and, and that we follow that child no matter where they go or, or who they're placed with or at what stage of, of their child welfare journey that they're in, our volunteers stay with them from start to finish, uh, which is obviously meaningful for the child and, and gives us a good perspective about um, what that child's needs are. Um, so that's unique to that's unique to 
this county or it's unique to the Guardian Med Lightning program? It, different counties work in different ways um, as far as um, the treatment providers and, and, and DSS, but, but certainly in this county, it's, it's unique. Um, uh, there's, uh, we've got lots of children that uh, may be in multiple different placements. They may be in, um, uh, have multiple therapists. They may have to attend multiple schools. Uh, they may have multiple social workers. Um, now, th there are some children that may have, uh, just depending on how long long their their experience is in in the system, they may only have one or two social workers. Um, but but we've got children that have several more than that, and and again have multiple placements and multiple um, therapists and other folks that work with them. Uh, and that's no criticism of the system. Sometimes it just works that way, and and given the complex nature of of, of therapy and, and child welfare, you have to have folks that have specialties. So um, sometimes you just have changes in placement to meet a child's needs, or you have changes in therapists to meet a child's needs. Um, but but we, our volunteers are able to follow that child throughout the, that process. They're able to be the consistent adult. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, absolutely. And so, and, and the biggest part of what we do is, is after we we spend that time getting to know the child and, and certainly the most important person that we, we meet with and talk with is the child themselves. And so our volunteers go out and, and meet with that child every month at least. And, and we've got some volunteers that certainly uh, meet and communicate with their children more often than that, but, but at least once a month. And um, we take all of that information and, and we, we formulate, formulate recommendations. We write court reports for each hearing and, and we make recommendations about what the best interest of that child is, again, for the purpose of um, finding them the, uh, a secure, stable, loving home in the, in the shortest time frame possible. Um, and, and through that process, certainly we provide the child's voice in court. And that's, again, something that lots of folks do, but, but is unique in our mandate is that we are, we are that child's voice in court. So. Um, that's, I think for a lot of our volunteers, and certainly for me, one of my favorite things to do, and I think a lot of our volunteers would say the same thing, is, is asking the child, what, what do you feel like you need? What do you want? Um, so for so many of our children, um, our, our volunteers are sometimes the first adult uh, that, that is caring and respectful and, and, and truly ask them what's important to them. And it's, it's really neat to see kids light up when you ask that question. And when you really break down and, and start getting to what's important to them and, and you listen, um, kid, even our young children understand the concept of volunteer and they know that our volunteers are there not because they have to, not because it's their job, it's, it's because they care about the child and, and they sincerely wanna help them and, and, and do what's best for them. and. Um, kids share some pretty unique things. And um, when we are able to go back and, and advocate um, for some of those requests and they're granted, um, seeing the self-efficacy and, and the growth in children when they understand that I advocated, I asked for this and my volunteer, uh, guardian ad litem advocate went to court and asked for this for me and I got what I asked for. Mm. Uh, it's such a powerful experience for children. It's really neat to see that growth process when they make that connection that I asked and I got it. Hmm. It, it probably 
establishes trust too, because for a lot of kids here, trusting adults is, is not always easy. Um, just Absolutely. Interesting. And, and certainly trusting, you know, the kind of processes and systems are not something that uh, kids always have have trust in either. And, and so they're able to gain some of that through the process um, as well. That's very cool. Um, so uh, just so our listeners know, when a child comes into into custody of um, the county foster in foster care, um, the way that a, they a case progresses is through court. So the judge makes the decision um, every three to six months about what the birth parents need to do and what, how it's going and that type of thing. Um, so that the judge makes that decision, which is why it's important to have representation in the courtroom. Absolutely. Perfectly said. So, um, so yeah. I know you talked about um, you love being able to give um, kids dignity, honestly, and, and voice for themselves in the courtroom. Are there any other um, really interesting or exciting stories that you kind of just hold on to as some of your favorites in the past? How long have you been working for the GAL? Going on four years. Okay. And so... Um, there's so many aspects of, of what we do that um, that kind of stick with you and resonate and, and feel great. I, when when asking children, you know what what's important to them and, and what they want, it, it's interesting going through that process. Sometimes when you're first talking to children, first asking them those questions, uh, you know they'll come back and, and they'll say, "Well, do you think the judge would would want me to have a PlayStation?" Um, and you kind of break it down and help them understand what, what the question's really asking for. And um, it, there's so many things that, um, you know, children can think of that, that are really obvious, but sometimes people just don't consider. Um, when you think about a child leaving home, and so when, when you're talking to that child for the first time, uh, in, in not every case, we've got some children that are still with their birth parents that we work with, but a lot of children have had to leave their home. And so it's difficult leaving their birth parents. And, and in addition to that, sometimes they're leaving extended family, but they're leaving a lot of other things as well. And so when you ask kids what's important to you, is were you able to take everything with you? Is there anything that you still need or anything that you're missing? And you have kids that, that ask to have visits with their pets. Mm. Um, you ask to have kids that left some of their favorite toys because they thought they were coming right back home or um, they left their winter clothes because they thought they'd be coming home soon and um, they left their favorite pillow or their favorite stuffed animal. And, and so sometimes they want those things and just, it, it, it's really powerful realizing the experience that children go through and everything that they, they miss and everything that they leave behind when they, they leave their home. And, uh, it's just such an honor to be able to advocate for those things and, and try to get kids visits, not just sometimes with their siblings or um, other family members, but sometimes with their friends that mm-hmm. they left behind or, or, or pets or get them some of their belongings. And um, those things are always really powerful experiences whenever, uh, again, a child has something new that you've not thought about uh, or not considered that's really important to them. The other things that I think are always 
the other moments in, in cases that I think are always powerful. And there's, there's so many points in, in, in working with a child that, um, that, that really is meaningful. But um, when you get to see, going through the process where you represent the child for, for their entirety of, of their, their child welfare experience, you, you see them at the beginning when they first come into care uh, or when, when um, DSS has, has first filed the petition, um, getting to be with them for the entire time and then seeing them when they've, when they've reached the point of permanence uh, is really such a powerful experience. Um, being able to go to uh, adoption ceremonies, whether that's with um, foster parents or adoptive families that um, have been connected with children through recruitment processes or whether it's um, kinship family that is adopting them. Um, just being able to be part of that ceremony and, and, and seeing them celebrate with their new family is powerful, but the really powerful part of that experience is watching them connect and bond and grow with their families, um, you know, over the course of, of a year or sometimes more and watching that child really thrive when they get that unconditional acceptance and love and nurture. Um, the other and, and probably even more powerful experience is when you get to see children reunited with their birth families. Um, even our young children kind of get the concept that their parents have to do things and um, that we don't always discuss those, obviously those things in detail with, with children, but, but they know that their parents have, have things that they're working on. And the message that, in, that our parents that reunited, uh, reunify with their children send to them is that kids know that they had to work really hard and they do. There, there's so many things that they have to do through the process of working their case plan. Um, they, they have to hold down jobs. They have to have um, uh, stable housing. And um, in addition to working and having stable jobs, they've got to do all sorts of treatment. And uh, that may be substance abuse treatment and mental health treatment and domestic violence treatment. It may be any combination of those things. Um, they're going to therapy with their kids at, at, at times. And it, it's really uh, impressive what some of our, our, our families are able to do and what they're able to overcome. And as they're doing those things, which are challenging enough on their own, they're also overcoming their own trauma histories and they're overcoming substance abuse or, or so many issues that brought them to the court's attention originally. And watching the process where kids see and recognize that their parents are working hard to get them back and, and just what that means to children and watching them grow through the process and watching their parents grow. And then as a family unit, watching them grow um, is really just a, a rewarding process to be part of, to be able to observe that and um, see kids kind of grow through that process and, and get to the point that they can be reunified and, and just seeing how much that means to, to, to children and their families. Well, you said to watch that process, but you get to be a part of that process. Certainly, certainly. Um, and I think, you know, I think I, I want to say this that every in every podcast we do, that the point of foster care is not adoptions. The point of sure. foster care is to provide a safe place for a child while they're 
their families are able to work on providing a safe place for them. And so the goal is always reunification. Um, and, you know, in everyone we talk to on this podcast, like we are rooting for reunification. We want families to remain safe, healthy, and whole. And that is the, the purpose. Um, and does that always happen? Unfortunately not. Um, and then as an adoptive mom, I know it doesn't, um, but that's the purpose. And so to be able to be a part of that in whatever way that you're able to be a part of that is a really powerful, powerful process. So. It is, it, it, it is an amazing experience, no doubt. So. Well, if we have listeners who are interested in being a volunteer child advocate through the Guardian Ad Litem program, um, is there, well, first, how do we, how do we get in touch? And then is there a person who's maybe better at it or, or can anybody do it? Or what's the, what's the, the stipulation? Sure, the, the only, um, the only real requirement is that, um, it, it, to be a guardian ad litem is that you're, you're 18 years of age and that, um, kind of the process, if you're interested is uh, certainly anybody that is considering it, that has questions about it, that wants to learn more about it, can, can talk, contact us directly at our office. Uh, that number is 828-466-6121. And uh, Sydney Smith, our district administrator, is, is extension two. And, and you can certainly talk with her or, or any of the staff. I think there's only four or five of us, so you don't have a lot of extensions to work through. But any of us will answer your questions. But if you're at the point that you're interested in becoming a guardian, guardian ad litem volunteer advocate, then um, you just go to our state website, which is www.volunteer for uh, the, the F-O-R-G-A-L. So volunteer for, for G-A-L.org, all one word, and fill out an application. Uh, note the county that you're in. And then that will automatically um, get sent to uh, whichever county's office that you selected. And so then we'll, we'll contact you. We'll set up a screening interview. Um, obviously, anybody working with children, um, uh, we do criminal background checks for. Um, and then there's a six-week training process, which is all online at this point because of, of the pandemic and, and COVID. Um, so uh, we meet once a week and, and have a class, and then there's work to be done in between each class. Um, it's very interactive training. We do lots of, um, lots of case scenarios and um, get to work with um, the other trainees as a group and, and um, pretty, uh, pretty straightforward process. Um, after you get done with the training, you get sworn in. Uh, which I think is an amazing experience. Um, I, I love being in court. I love watching that process and being part of that process. Um, it, it's a, such a powerful experience to, to stand in court and be sworn in directly by a judge and have that experience. Um, and then as soon as that happens, um, you're assigned a case and, and you get to start making a difference in a child's life. Um, our next training starts January 19th. So we're coming up on, on that fairly quickly. Um, in, in addition to being 18 and, and passing a criminal background check, probably the number one um, kind of characteristic that we're looking for is just somebody that has a sincere concern for the well-being of children, somebody that really sincerely wants to make a, a difference in a child's life. 
Um, it, we really want folks to, to think that this is something that they can do kind of through the life of a case. Um, and, and often that can be a year or, or sometimes more. Um, life happens and if you can't do that, nobody's gonna be upset. But, um, but, but we want children to have that consistent advocate throughout their, their um, experience whenever possible. Um, we want folks that can be objective and, and non-judgmental and really look at what's gonna be best for that child without any, any preconceived notions. Um, folks that have the ability to interact with, with um, a variety of folks from, from a variety of different backgrounds um, in, in a respectful manner and um, just, just basic um, written and verbal communication skills. I think a lot of people get really worried about writing court reports. That sounds a lot more intimidating than it is, but uh, again, my job and the job of the other program supervisors is to support our volunteers and and we're with you every step of the way or we're with our volunteers every step of the way. Um, first time they do visits uh, when they go to court, first time they go to meetings or, or um, visit the child, we're, we're with them and, and we stay with them until they're comfortable and we're comfortable that um, they can kind of start venturing out on their own a little bit. Um, and then we're always there for any support of uh, any, any support or, or troubleshooting and always available by phone and, and we frequently meet with folks and provide lots of, of ongoing training and support. Well, I'm glad you mentioned about um, the court report being um, a little scary and intimidating. The other part that I wanna make sure our listeners know is that they're not presenting the court report in court. Correct. So, so we, they, we, go ahead. Sure, any time that they're in court, we have, a, a, we have an attorney advocate. So the attorney is the one that presents that court report and they work closely with our, our volunteers to make sure that they understand the recommendations and the rationale for those. And um, they can present the, the, that information to the court uh, in a way that, that really conveys what, um, what our volunteer advocates feel is gonna be in the best interest of that child. You're in need, right? I mean, I think I, um, of volunteers because you have, um, I'm sure you have a lot of volunteers, but you could always use more. We, we, we've gotten a lot of volunteers. I think last year we, we had um, 40 new volunteers that joined us, which is the most we've, we've ever had, um, at least since I've been here. So we're definitely moving in the right direction and feel really good about that. But we still have a lot of children that, um, that do need uh, a volunteer advocate. So we're, we're probably at about 200 children that still in Catawba County alone that, that wow. a child so, advocate. So with roughly 300, I mean, give or take, every three around 300 kids in care, you right. still, you have 200 who do not have. Uh, we have a, a roughly 200 children that still need a volunteer child advocate. Yes, wow. so there's still so a when, need. So when a, but when a, when a GAL, a volunteer at child advocate takes a case, they take the whole case. So if it's a sibling group of maybe three, yes you would have all three of those kids. And so it's not, not a one per child. Uh, Correct. Okay. Right. So it's, we don't, we don't, we'd love to have 200 uh, applications, but, um, but no, we don't necessarily need 200 um, volunteers, but, um, but there's always, you know, we have folks that reach the end of case and, and have done it for a number of years and, and life happens. So we have folks that move or, um, decide to take a break for a little while. So um, 
anybody that has interest, we, we, we welcome the opportunity to, to work with you and, and would encourage anybody that, that really wants to make a difference. And now is such a great time to do it with um, still having those New Year's resolutions that are fresh. And um, 2020 was tough for all of us. We all want to leave that behind and, and have a different experience this year. And so um, this is an opportunity uh, to, to make a difference uh, for, for a child and make their uh, 2021 a very different experience. They can also check you out on Facebook and there are info meetings on Facebook as well, correct? Right. We do information sessions every month on, on Facebook. And um, uh, we started moving towards doing some of those on um, uh, WebEx. And so, but, but we contact us and look us up on Facebook and we'll, we'll get you the link to, to join us every month and you can find out more. And, and certainly, again, you can always call us and ask and, and we'll answer any questions that you have about volunteering or, or the program in general. And y'all are in the middle, you're at the tail end of the peanut butter and jelly drive, correct? We are. So every year we, um, for the last several years, we've, we've collected peanut butter and jelly. And, and our goal is that we just want to make sure that, that no child in Catawba County goes hungry, especially this time of year. Um, and what we're, this year we're collecting for um, two programs that, that do backpack programs, the, the corner table and uh, the porch program. And so uh, they both wonderful organizations that um, collect um, food from the community and then um, distribute, redistribute that food to uh, a lot of the schools in the system and, and some other programs as well. But they make sure that um, food's packed up and gets distributed in backpacks so that it goes directly to, to children and families in need. And it's when you go to those uh, to their warehouses or you go to their programs and, and see what they do and see the amount of um, food and, 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 and all the things that they do that they package for families. And, and you see that the, the massive mountains of, of bags that they've got waiting to ship out every single month. It's a really powerful experience. I love that, that y'all are doing that as well. So if, if, our listeners want to support the peanut butter and jelly drive. Um, there are a few more days to do that and you can drop it off at the Guardian Ad Litem office in Newton um, or at the Children's Resource Center in Hickory. Yep, and uh, if folks have any other, uh, if you wanna follow us on Facebook or learn any, anything else about peanut butter and jelly campaign or anything else that we're doing, you can look us up on Facebook at, at Guardian Ad Litem. Uh, District 25, Catawba County, Burke County, and, and Caldwell County. That's awesome. Well, Chris, it has been such a fun conversation to have. Um, I want to end on uh, to ask if you have um, any a funny or joyful story that you'd like to share um, before we say goodbye. Sure, yeah, I just... Um, the, kind of one of my favorite stories is uh, and just kind of illustrates just um, how amazing uh, experiences as a guardian ad litem can be is um, I, I went to, to visit a very young child that I was working with, um, just a, a kindergarten student, and I'd worked with the child for a couple of years, and so I knew them, knew her fairly well, and, and um, had, had gotten to know her over, over her experience and um, 
I always visit her at um, her placement provider's home. And, and so I just wanted to do something different. She had asked me to come and, and see her at school. And so um, that was a great opportunity to see her in a different environment. And so I went to, um, to visit her at school and I knocked on the door um, to her classroom. And um, uh, she jumped up out of her seat and, and yelled to her teacher that, that my uncle Chris is here and came running over to the, the door and, and, and gave me a hug. And um, I had to explain, no, I'm not your uncle and try to explain what a guardian ad litem was, but it was just such a, such a warm moment to look at a child's perspective. And she's a child that I met as just somebody slightly older than, than a toddler. And, and I explained what a guardian ad litem is, but in her mind that equated to uncle, even though that I didn't in any way, shape or form give that message, but it was just a, just a warm moment that that's having somebody that comes to see me every so often that is looking out for me and somebody that's trying to help me out and, and sincerely cares about me that that's what she equated it to in her mind. And so just, uh, just one of those warm experiences that you go through and working with, with kids that, um, that kind of form their, get their own, uh, form their own uh, perspective on, on who you are and what you do and hmm. how you fit into their life. I love that story. And uh, I won't get the quote right, but it's something about it takes one, one positive adult to change a, li- a child's life. I think that that example is a beautiful example of that quote, but also a beautiful example of the whole point of, of all of us who are on this journey, whether it's social workers or foster parents or guardian med items or um, attorneys or, or whoever, we are all trying to just be that, um, a positive person in a child's life to change it and to, and, and in your case, to give them a voice. So thank you so much for being with us um, and telling us more. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. and appreciate everything that um, Fostering Hope Catawba does and, and all that you guys do for, for children and families. So, thanks for joining us, friends. This has been Friends of Foster Care, a podcast of Fostering Hope Catawba. For more information, visit www.fosteringhopecatawba.com. Thanks for tuning in.